Welcome to Splatbook, the RPG Topics podcast. If this is your first episode, we talk about tabletop RPG design, but we're doing something a little different today. This show is brought to you by the generous contributions of the lovely backers of the MapCro Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash MapCro and pledge today to support this show and gain exclusive access to the Macro Secret Sketchbook. My name is Kyle, and with me today is my favorite thousand-year-old turtle who is allergic to youth, John. <laughs> well, 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 if it isn't my own uh, personal swamp of sadness, my own my own personal mire of melancholy, Kyle Latino. Yes, yes, okay, we're coming out swinging. I like this, I like this attitude. I, you know, oh. actually, I was going to compare myself to a, a different character in the film, but uh, we'll, right. we'll get to that when we get to that, so. That's right. So, uh, we are talking about uh, uh, the never-ending story and how it relates to gaming, but before that, this whole episode is actually in response to our very first Splat Phone message. Hello, Kyle and John. My name is Jake. I had some thoughts on that melancholy we see in fantasy and in history all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and how we can use it in games. I think Delta Green is a great example here of making that melancholy something that is directly related to the player characters. I think that's really important because it gets the players directly invested and player buy-in is the only way you can possibly enforce a tone that's so dire. Another great game is Polaris, which is GM-less, and so, of course, it requires the buy-in of everyone at the table. But I've also had a lot of fun with Kevin Crawford's Wolves of God. Uh, it kind of plays like just D&D, but in Britain, in Anglo-Saxon Britain. But it has a mechanic where your character cannot die and be judged by God until they've fulfilled their destiny, and often that destiny is bad decisions and the crumbling of their relationships and kin that they have held so dear for so long. And that personal relationship really does make players feel like the world is falling apart around them because their world is falling apart around them. I do hope you guys play King Arthur Pendragon in any form. I'd really like to see that. Thanks for listening to my thoughts. Yeah, Jake, Jake had had some really killer thoughts uh, and, and kind of like nails a lot of what I think is central to this while also mentioning um, uh, games that I have not only never played before, but never would have thought of as an entryway to talk about like melancholy <laughs> at, yeah. at the gaming table. <laughs> yeah, that was super interesting. Um, now I have to check those games out. I have not played them either. Uh, so I, 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 Delta Green is something that I probably know uh, plenty about, uh, but yeah, have not here. played. Uh, but uh, it, it is definitely has. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's a, just very briefly. Delta Green is is you play a, a secret government at like X Files esque organization that is investigating like the Cthulhu mythos in like modern day uh, and all this kind of stuff. And they're they're kind of like play on this like sort of like yeah like spooky true crime stuff more and and it's it's like it's kind of more monster of the week than your average call of cthulhu game which is sort of a longer kind of protracted investigation um wolves of god is a really interesting one i have heard of before it is by uh uh the same the same game right as stars without number oh, and okay. 
it's actually written the whole book is kind of written in character so to speak so there's a lot of like slighting language it's that the idea is that the the the, um, the 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 premise is that the RPG manual was written by medieval English monks, and nice. uh, and and it was then like kind of like transcribed and copied to today, uh, and that the um, they there's, so there's a lot of sliding jokes at the ex- expense of the Welsh, like throughout, just like the rules, which is very strange. <laughs> and very English, um, but yes. And then Polaris looks like, if if I have the correct one, uh, it looks like a, a kind of like a, a sort of like a post-apocalyptic, like far future, you know, the, the earth has been ravaged by, uh, um, you know, made basically uninhabitable because of like all these catastrophes and mutants and everything like that. Um, but I, I, other than that, I, I really don't know anything other than what I'm reading on the uh, drive-through RPG. But we will have links to all of those in the show notes. Yeah, I hadn't heard of Polaris before either. So um, yeah, we'll link those up and see what people think. Uh, I'll throw in another game there just real quick, only because it's closely related. Is uh, Fall of Delta Green, which mm. is the uh, uh, Peregrine Press or excuse me, Pelgrane Press. Um, gumshoe edition of Delta Green, and that oh. is definitely a melancholy game. I mean, it's right in the title. It's the fall of Delta Green. It's about sort of during the seventies how the Delta Green operation sort of collapses uh, before the apocalypse, and so there's definitely that sort of melancholy feeling to it, or sad feeling to it. So anyway, I feel like Delta Green feels like you know a, a world, you know, humans against monsters unimaginable, which which creates sort of a stark terror and i don't know like is that the same as melancholy we'll have to get into that a little bit yeah and that i think that's where i would actually really like to start uh is like define i don't know i can't say for sure what jake means by melancholy but uh i i I think he's 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 gesturing in a really strong direction so we should for our own purposes kind of like come up with our let's define our terms let's Let's define our terms uh what when you when you say melon so when i brought this uh message to you and i said we should just do an episode on melancholy and ttrpgs i said and you you've been asking me like oh we should do one of these movies for you know the personal appendix and i said oh we should we should watch the dark crystal and you said no 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 let's watch uh, a never-ending story instead and then talk about that as our kind of lens on melancholy and ttrpgs yeah, so, you know, it was funny about that is I when you said Dark Crystal, I specifically brought up the Swamp of Sadness from the Neverending Story, which we'll get yes. to because uh and then watching the movie, and we'll get to the movie later, but I realized I, I don't think I've ever watched this whole thing. And so it was kind of funny that you <laughs> that I just I was making a joke about the Swamp of Sadness and you're like, Yeah, let's do that instead. So that was funny. But the Dark Crystal would have been a good choice too. Labyrinth would have been a good choice. There's a lot of these sort of eighties fantasy movies which have this sort of overtone of of uh, melancholy. But I, I sort of define it as not 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 melancholy is not the same as depression or sadness it is yeah i would almost say it is light it is i don't want to belittle the feeling but it is a sort of feeling of disconnection or uh purposelessness in relation to the life that is going on around you right it's sort of a um an occasional and unavoidable uh fall into um sadness or ennui just brought about by regular circumstances of life how's that for a definition you want to you want to put some yeah, on that? i think that i think that's really good i also think that um 
you know, in terms of like looking for melancholy entertainment, it's yes. sort of like a cozier version of depression or bleakness, right? Like yes. it isn't a, as strong to the point of like actually bumming you out. Like, you know, if I watch like, I don't know, like Akira Kurosawa's Akiru, I'm going to have a bad time. Like that is, right. that is really going to like hurt uh, uh, to watch, but it's, it, so it kind of goes beyond melancholy. Melancholy is sort of like this cozier thing in entertainment, though it, 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 you know, if you're actually going through it, probably doesn't feel quite so, quite so pleasant and cozy. No, that's that. a good distinction. Like I always bring up the first, the, the, Michael Moorcock actually uses the word melancholy to describe Elric, right? Mm. So who, those who are familiar and Elric, I think it, it is a sad story and tragic. It's ultimately a tragedy, but Elric is not, is not prevented from acting because of his melancholy. It's just sort of his state of mind. Whereas, you know, those who know, and we, we won't get into this in de detail, but if you've ever had an episode or suffer from serious depression, it is debilitating. And that's not yeah. what we're talking about. Right? right. Elric can still act. He's just, he's just, his outlook is grim, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, there is sort of like, I'm, I'm, I am acting in the face of this. And I, I think there's moments of melancholy that are really, truly important to like fantasy as a genre. I think it's yes. like a, a central concern, uh, if not a theme. And this is like, especially when we look at Tolkien, especially when we look at, um, uh, Conan, like, you know, the, those are kind of like, you know, that is our, that is our, our glum, uh, 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 that is set against our jovial, you know, like we have yes. kind of like that kind of range is what we're going for. And melancholy is really in, important for that. And it's not always something that is easy to invite to the, to the game table either. Um, right. So and yeah. so, you know, Jake in his message kind of identifies this idea of player buy-in as being like really essential, uh, and that is uh, that is of course true with any decision. It's just like some some things are sort of like a, a, a stronger assumption of the play culture than than others. Yes. So I think yeah. you know, deciding like, hey, you want to you want to play kind of a bummer of a game uh, that that can be kind of a tough pitch sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So do you want to start off by kind of like uh, uh, jumping through um, uh, uh, never ending story? Uh, do you yeah, I, I would. I, I think it was, it was really interesting. So just to, in the spirit of pretending we're like a, a blog post that does 500 words before actually talking about the thing they're going to talk about. Like, <laughs> like I don't know if you've ever tried to look up a recipe online, but you know, 500 <laughs> words. <laughs> uh, so long story short. So this came out in 1984 and I'm the, I'm the 80s kid here, right? I was born in right. the year of our Lord, 1969. So I was either 14 or 15, depending on when this thing came out. So I was actually too old to want to see this movie because right. I didn't see it in the theater to my recollection. I remember seeing like, you know, we had Showtime and HBO. So I remember seeing, I know I've seen many scenes from it, but, but I hadn't seen the whole thing end to end for me. Like, like 1982 was my year. I'm talking, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Trek two. I'm a tween. I'm a teen, something like the never ending story. I'm going to poo poo at that age, you know? Yeah. Uh, watching it now, it was really interesting. It had a lot of eighties conventions, right? Like the kid is bullied at the beginning. Right. He escapes his bullies. Um, so it felt very 80s in that way. Um, you know, he's not doing well in school. He's got a horrible father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, 
he's a he's an orphan, right? His mother has passed away. His he can't really connect with his father. Like it is a bit of a sad life that he's living. I think he lives in New York. Um, yeah. and walks to school. Uh, but the story really kicks off after showing sort of his his distant father and his bullies. The story kicks off when he escaping his bullies goes into a bookstore, and the bookstore is owned by a man who is older, uh, grumpy. He reads books that kids don't like to read anymore. Uh, so he's me, the character. In that. <laughs> if if this had if this movie had come out, or if this if the book it was based on had come out, you know, uh, this century, he uh, that man would have started a podcast instead of uh, at a bookstore. But yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and we should say the never ending story is based on a German novel and the novel actually came down in, out in 1979. Um, right. So, uh, so the kid runs into the story called the never ending story and I'm not going to go through every beat of the never ending story, but it, it is a fantasy world called uh, Fantasia, uh, which contains all kinds of glorious creatures. Is it, it's not Fantasia exactly. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's rock biters, these giants who eat rocks and giant flying bats and racing snails and all these sort of crazy inventions. Um, but Fantasia is in trouble. Um, it's dying. There's something called the nothing, which is sort of consuming it from the edges and everyone's trying to escape it. Uh, they find out they all go to see the Empress. Um, and it is determined that the only one who can that they need a warrior to combat the nothing. And they pick this young kid, this teen, this tween teenager named Atreyu uh, to go on the quest to defeat the nothing. And he has a bunch of adventures um, that are sort of disconnected, goes on this quest. And throughout the story, they realize that the only one who can save Fantasia is actually the human boy who started the story. Bastion is his name. Bastion. Bastion in the, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the boy who's reading the book, it turns out they are aware of him and he's the only one who can save Fantasia by giving the Empress a new name, um, which will allow it to sort of come back to life. Um, and then he does so and gets some wishes and that's <laughs> a very strange ending, but, but he's able to restore Fantasia. So that's the super high level. Did I miss anything? I mean, we'll probably go into different. No, that, I think there. that's a really wonderful summary. And the whole thing is sort of like an allegory, for like, you know, the purpose, the role of fantasy in, in, you know, the human psyche, like the need to, uh, you know, have to, 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 to read and engage with um, pure fantasy as a way of stirring our hearts so that we actually, you know, behave to a higher standard and that we also reinvest in fantasy, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others and all this kind of stuff. It has this kind of like wonderful pro art making, you know, pro pro art engagement message that I, that I, I, uh, I, I must admit, like it's a absolutely like targeted at me. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. Tell it's, me your it's experience a... with the movie really quick. Did you? I assume you watched it on VHS. As a yes. Man. <laughs> yes. And <clears throat> so when that movie came out, I was just recently conceived, so I right. had not. I did not see it in theaters, but it was it was making the rounds on VHS and everything, and it would be on you know TV every once in a while. I'd, I'd watch it on one of these like f fuzzy channels that. <laughs> you know, my rabbit ears wouldn't quite pick up and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, my flickering cathode ray tube and all that. Yes. But, um, but yeah, it was, it kind of had a reputation for being like silly and saccharine. 
And I don't know that it doesn't escape that, you know, like I, I think it no. actually kind of earns that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there are some moments of of uh, uh, of pure delight kind of sprinkled throughout, even though it is targeted at a much younger audience. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's kind of difficult to imagine um, because even even children's media now kind of like assumes a bit more cynicism in the children that are watching these <laughs> movies, you know, yeah, this one yeah. is this this is just like, no, this is we're going to have like squeaky yeah. little children performing and, and, and being like, ah, you know, and, and just really, really going out on, on a limb um, for a, a fairly, you know, childish narrative. But uh, which is actually in a lot of ways that um, you don't get all the wonderful pla practical effects and puppets the book actually i think holds up a little bit nicer for for a, a mature reader uh yeah. than because it's like it's not you don't have to kind of deal with all the performance and effects and all this kind of stuff it kind of yeah. like comes across much much it's very much in conversation with like lord dunsany i think um, yes i think what's interesting one thought i had is that it feels very much like we were talking about how much we enjoy fantasy that's more about wonder and less about yes. statistics and this movie certainly is but at the same time i was like parts of this are just like we're making transitions from one place to another that are hard to understand or or comprehend whereas if we were doing the same thing in lord dunsany like like specifically uh what was it the marshes where no man goes right yes yes the land um, where no man goeth the land where mo no man goes compared to the swamp of sadness one of those i found really you know resonating and the second one i was like the swamp of sadness what you know like it just seemed to come out of nowhere so i just thought that was an interesting contrast like i sort of still stand behind my statement about wonder but um maybe maybe part of the issue was the fact that it was a film and not a book i guess yeah, there's there's some there's some of that going on, but also like it is it is brazenly um, uh, allegorical. Yes. Uh, it, it's not really trying to get you to invest in Fantasia, but the idea of your own Fantasia, you know, like the idea of like your your own fantasies. And so it kind of creates this like pastiche of sort of like Neverland in a lot of ways, like but even like Never Neverland, you know, very. Uh, kind of does a lot to kind of like give kind of wink at you and kind of like, kind of like what Dunsany was doing in um, the quest for the queen's tears, where he's just kind of like, he's, he's kind of like giving you permission to be childish in a way that like never ending story, the film kind of like, kind of just demands that you make that transformation yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There were a couple of parts in it. Um, there was one part in particular that really grabbed me, um, and we can get to it because it's almost near the end of the film. But, uh, but we're talking about melancholy, and the reason I joked about we should watch this was the swamp of sadness. Yes, right. Which is so that one of his first obstacles is he's got to ride his horse, uh, who is called it's not Ajax. It no, is... it's uh, I wrote it down. It's um, Artax. Artax. Actually, let me let me back up a second before we get into it. First of all, the first thing I wrote down was this film was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Um, if you are a not, he is so so. Those of you who are closer to my age, he directed all of your favorite like dad action movies of the nineties. He directed um, In the Line of Fire, starring Clint Eastwood, uh, <laughs> Out, Outbreak, starring Dustin Hoffman, and um, the most dad adventure action movie ever. 
Air Force One starring Harrison Ford. <laughs> but his first movie, his first movie was a little German film called Das Boot. Um, about, oh. uh, about a, uh, uh, it was sort of an art film, but a really long and critically acclaimed movie about a crew of a German U-boat trying to chase around an American convoy. And it was sort of, I don't want to say real time, but it was about that life and it was sort of gritty and real. And so anyway, when I saw his name pop up at the beginning of this movie, I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's, that's well, like me. at the time, never ending story was like one of the highest budget movies to ever come out of Germany. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, that's where like Metropolis comes from. So that, that's kind of like there's there's this whole like inventive, imaginative cinema thing that it's kind of tapping into in a way. So it, I think it, it's I think it's kind of activating that in, in, in some ways. Um, uh, but, but yeah, there's but yeah. yeah the history of like national filmmaking and, and the, the identity, the, the cultural identity of, of German cinematography. Uh, uh, we'll have to wait for perhaps a different podcast. <laughs> different podcast, <laughs> for sure. Um, no, but I wanted to sort of get to Atreus Quest because they're all sort of representative of I, different... I, yeah, go ahead. I actually wanted to start before that because I think okay. I think it has the, the never-ending story, the book inside of the movie has a really strong hook at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, so you start with like a couple of people at a campfire you know, and they have their own, you know, there's, there's got, you got this guy riding a bat and you got this guy riding a, 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 a racing snail that's really fast. And then this giant, you know, rock giant like pulls up on this, you know, giant, like, you know, granite tricycle thing. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and immediately sits down and, and, and basically, I think, I think right there, that is a great way to start a fantasy game. It's just yeah. like, you know, you're chilling in the woods and suddenly a rock giant pops up and and says, you know, oh, mind, mind if I join in with you? And, and it's like, um, what's going to happen? It, it creates this tension. Like, you don't know where it's going right. to go. And then he starts talking about, like, how his homeland has evaporated. Like, he is now, like, now that you're already paying attention to this thing that could squash you without a second thought, it is now telling you, it's just like, here, here is the thing that this campaign is about. Here is the thing that we all need to be much more concerned with. And, you know, really kind of delivering some fairly like soulful dialogue uh, uh, about like the, this threat and, and, and what to do about it immediately. I just I think that's that's such a great way to start things off. And I feel like you care about the, the rock eater quite a much uh, uh, quite a bit more than just like, you know, whatever, like John Q six teeth at the tavern, whose like daughter was kidnapped, <laughs> you know, the blacksmith's daughter we keep picking on. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is that um, like as a piece of fiction, one of my complaints about it is, and one thing I thought was funny in um, the fortress unvanquishable is that it's sort of said, they're just a quest giver, right? Like, yeah. so, so this group gets together, they, they hear the story of the rock biter. They all realize they've come from places where the nothing is, is happening so they decide to go to the ivory tower and find the empress um her spokesperson is there um who explains to them they you know that something is happening but but it's just like a, a an expository like here's your quest go on your quest like yeah. we're not going to discover anything and we're not gonna you know in, in a modern film we'd we'd be having some montage where people around the world are are experiencing disaster and some scientist puts together the pieces and says, Oh, this is what we have to do. Nope. It's just like, Hey, uh, here's the problem. Here's the quest. Uh, uh, we just need a volunteer. 
hopefully it'll be this kid atreyu you know like it there's not a lot of uh uh we don't waste you know, a lot of time before we get to no. drowning horses and swamps. It, it really no. gets to the good <laughs> stuff right away. Yeah, there's there is this thing here where, uh, but I do think that it does a good job setting up you up with some memorable characters, kind of in the middle of a dark forest, and then and then that first shot of the ivory tower is gorgeous and wonderful. Yes. And so, like the idea that you know this is what is at stake, this is what is at threat, kind of like one of the most like, you know, beautiful, like dreamlike, uh, you know, miniatures to ever be committed to film uh, is, I think that's wonderful. I I think it does, it doesn't necessarily put it in direct threat by like, we don't see the nothing kind of like eating away at, uh, at Fantasia, but I still think that it does a good job kind of like scaling up from you got a campfire two people at a campfire that's basically relatable and then you got this big strange thing that happens and 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 then it zooms out and we see like okay this place is actually pretty kick-ass it would be sad if it went away uh and i think that's a that's that's kind of like phrasing that's at least phrasing the invitation for buy-in is you have to make beautiful things that characters that players will care about if it's gone uh and that that can be pretty tough but i think oftentimes you know if it's a if it's a if if it's a you know if the rock biter is a great example of 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 an npc that just uh you could introduce and then and then that that could be depending on the performance that could be an npc that that players warm to immediately yes and i and i think maybe that also I think it highlights a difference between a good game story and a, and a good fiction story. Cause they're not the same. Like they have some of the yeah. same things, but like, like, like sometimes I enjoy fiction where it just cuts to the chase. Right. right. Um, but, but, but with the game you have to, right. Like, yes. Like players can't really spend two sessions, you know, like you ever hear a review of a book. It says, well, it takes a hundred pages to start going, but once it gets there, it's really good. Right. Like, like I could actually live with that in a book. Sure. But, not in a game, right? They, they, folks need to know where they got to go right off the bat. So, yes, start, start at the dungeon, right? You know, like give, give them something that is going to hook their attention and tell them to tell them what they're supposed to care about as soon as possible. And I, I think this campfire meeting is something that I, I would like to steal in the future. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, so the, this this uh, Atreyu warrior guy kind of gets summoned and, and kind of takes up the quest and we get to kind of like see his character kind of revealed as in this bravado that he has uh, in, in that kind of courtroom as he gets his quest and everything. And then he goes on he goes on his way and uh, it, it's all hunky dory. But like, yeah, his first Atreyu's first challenge is the, swamp of sadness. is the swamp of sadness and it is rough this is yeah right this is of one the of gate. the most haunting scenes it's probably like up there with like some of some of the 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 horrifying things that happen to children in charlie and the chocolate factory yeah like, or it, like it beginning of disney movies like let's start with you know a fire killing bambi's parents like yeah geez, you know it's yeah. really going for the heart yeah yeah uh and it is brutal like uh like the the swamp of sadness um well let's set it know, up we haven't explained what yeah. it is okay uh so it is his first challenge is you have to get th- through this swamp and if you lose hope in the swamp or if you if you give in to despair in the swamp then you get sucked under the water so so he starts riding through atreyu starts riding artax through artax is his white horse um 
And at some point it gets so deep, he decides to walk the horse. Uh, and then the horse just stops walking and starts sinking. Um, and Atreyu begs the horse, like, I don't know how they got a horse to do this. Some of it was effects, but a lot of it was just like an actual horse just standing non, you know, just non-reactive in a deep puddle. Like it was really, it was really dark. And then he's begging and begging his horse to not give up. And his horse doesn't give up and his horse sinks and disappears. And then he's got to go on through the swamp of sadness by himself. Um, Yeah. It is just crippling just right out of the gate. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really good. And I think that is probably, this is where, this is where most people, I think most GMs are going to get off the boat. And also I think it's where most players are going to, are going to ask to get off the ride as well, because not only do you have to kind of like set up the threats, right? You have to make good on it. Yeah. If you want melancholy in your game, you just can't, you can't keep kicking the can down. You kind of need to take, you need to find out what your players care about and you kind of need to not just threaten it, but, but, but actually like take it away, make it hurt, make it real. And mm-hmm. I think that's something you really need to talk about in a session zero. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. Hey, I, you know, it was, it, I think I, I talked about this like last year when I got back from, uh, when I got back from Denmark, uh, yes. but I had this guy, we were playing this, we were playing this game where we were um, these uh, uh, finders of the dead uh, during plague ridden um, uh, London, you know, black plague London. And so we would go into people's houses and, and assess if they were, if they were party time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, so it was a bummer, <laughs> but and we got to phrase these scenes and kind of like have these little, little like set up moments before we would actually play out the scenes with the, with the other characters we were calling into the scene. And this one guy looked at me and he said, Kyle, I want you to go really hard on this one. Uh, and and it's just like basically just saying like hey I kind of I want you to I want you to make this hurt uh, right. and that is that is something that doesn't that a lot of people don't really want in their escapist fantasy they don't they don't you know like what is the point of becoming you know of of activating your 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 Pathfinder two build at level ten if you can't actually <laughs> save the people that are important to you with all these amazing powers you know right like right. that's that it's kind of, in a lot of ways that making the melancholy real requires you to kind of break the contract of the power fantasy and I it's think interesting because yeah yeah and again you know i think i think the fantasy stories that you and i are drawn to contain a lot of loss right like yeah you know gandalf dying in lord of the rings or the just sense of melancholy that pervades the elves in lord of the rings right that there's a lot that there's something that's been lost and um you know needs to be recovered lord of the rings is actually strangely extra melancholy because it sort of establishes up front like look you're never going to get it to be as good as it used to be yeah right but but you can try and and aragorn does try and do his part you know uh but ultimately he he, you know if you read the appendix at the end of the story he's like you know what i'm tired of living and i'm gonna go you know i'm gonna go to sleep now you know so even then there's that sort of pervading uh melancholy so I'm sorry, I distracted us a little bit from the never-ending story, but yes. No, no, no. I I think that's important. I think there's there's. I actually have a note to bring up some Tolkien again later. So this okay, is it's, right. it's fine that we're kind of like dolloping him in 
uh, where where it's necessary. But yeah, you know, I, I think I think that that scene is is really powerful. And if there's one scene to watch in the whole movie, it's, it's probably that. that one. You know, that's, that's that poor boy that people... scream at his horse to move, oh, and the horse won't move. It's just yeah. so rough. And the performance of the boy is also just like very raw, very real. And yes. yeah, it, uh, it 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 calls to you. Yeah, uh, for certain. All right. So, what happens next to this to this poor boy? So, so we should say framing all of this is uh, Bastion, the boy um, who's reading the story. He's a he's kind of messed. He's kind of not good at school. He he the bullying prevents him from coming to school on time, so he misses a math test. So he sneaks up into the attic of the school and just reads the book. And he spends a whole day and a night there yeah. reading the book. Of he's the basically story. So, run away from home at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So. so um, but in the in the book, the uh, the book in the movie, the, the, the trailer the uh, or, or the uh, Treyu has um, has crossed the the swamp of sadness and 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 gone to talk to Morla the Ancient One, which is this you know this giant <laughs> tortoise that's been living yes. out in the middle of the swamp. Everyone dies of of despair in for like so long that uh, that they speak in in they we, they speak with the royal we. Uh, because uh, because they had to learn to just talk to themselves because they it's been so long since they talked to anybody else. Yeah, um, and they are just determined that there's no point to anything. Yeah. So one of one of his quests, so Atreus' quest is to find the Southern Oracle so he can get the information he needs to save Fantasia. And the turtle says, "Yes, I've got it, but I'm not going to tell you because what's the point?" Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is also really important to um, not only do you have to threaten the things that the players um, that the players love, but you also have to make the people that could help the players not help the players. You have to you right. have to like this theme of apathy kind of has to be carried throughout. And, you know, it's, it's you know, we're, we're, to, to, to talk about Lord of the Rings again, this is essentially King Theoden's whole arc. Right. Like. Right. He he is in this deep uh, melancholy, and and Denethor for that matter. Like these people yeah, who should hopeless. be leading the charge, who should be these beacons of hope, have just been extinguished uh, in 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 mourning and despair and loss. And they've they're they're stuck in the swamp, you know. Yeah, uh, you know it's yeah. interesting to contrast it with um, uh, the Gunslinger, the Dark Tower. It's in, in that book. It's the world that's moved on, right? Yeah, and and uh, and. Roland, for all his psychopathy, actually is the is the undimmed light that is determined to continue regardless of his melancholy. You know. So anyway, that's just a, a brief contrast that one. No, no, I I think I think that is I, I think that's and and I think this is kind of why Jake was talking about uh, melancholy as it like a keystone of fantasy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. even, even though the games that were mentioned weren't all fantasy games, I, I still am like puzzling around, but I, I like it. It's just like, this is, this is, this is troubling to me. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, maybe, maybe it, it just, Jake is just using fantasy in a broader, broader way than, than, than yeah. I but this, into, this but, ancient yeah. turtle to sort of get us back on track is sure. fascinating. And I forget, and you remind me, how does he get the info? Did he, 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 what does he say to the turtle to get the turtle to? He basically he basically says like, if this really didn't matter to you, then you would tell me. So like, yes, you're you're right. still worried about something, 
you you still are like you do not want to stir your own heart to hope that telling somebody would do something so you're this yeah. is a defensive maneuver that's 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 being done here and uh have you heard the phrase i love this um phrase and i think about it a lot um addicted to your own suffering right like yeah uh, the turtle sort of personifies this um yes you know like like i i don't have much but i've got my suffering so i'm just gonna hang on to that yes yeah yeah and and so he he gets where he's supposed to go and that's when he kind of gets like uh uh and this this big wolf has been chasing him the whole time um uh, i actually want to come back to that wolf because he he kind of doesn't do a lot except very late in the movie, he sums up why it's important for for all of this, right? Like yes. He, he's the one who gives the exposition and sums up why this story and this quest is important, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, he's he's a and and also a, just like a really one of the more one of the more powerful images from the movie. Um, mm-hmm. That that's like again, if you see two scenes, probably yes. the wolf's monologue is the second scene that you yes, would watch. After, absolutely, after that's after the part that gripped me. I was very uncertain about this movie, but he gave that monologue. I'm like, yep, that's it. It's that's good. What it's, it's all good. about. It's yeah. good. That's the thing. It's good. Um, okay, we'll get to that though. But he's so, got to go he's, through. Yeah. Th- th- this wolf is chasing after him after he he talks to the um, he, wolf is chasing after him after he talks to the, to, to the Morla, the turtle, and that's when he gets rescued in the nick of time by uh falcor the luck dragon right falcor the luck dragon yeah was, and, and the, fir- the first full cgi creature ever in a motion picture no i'm kidding He's not <laughs> <CGI>. <laughs> no this is all practical effects uh and yeah so and falcor is a is is probably like the the, the most memeiest yeah. uh of of the images to come out of there because just like somebody like you know the kid riding around and like pumping the air while riding on the back of this dog lizard is is a yeah. is, is 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 it's tied very closely to the kind of popular conception of this movie um and it's this is i think what is you know um uh, what is uh, Robin D. Laws would call an upbeat. We've had several yes. downbeats. <laughs> We're way down. <laughs> We're way, way down. And Falcor is kind of delivering the thesis that, like, you know, you can be, you, as long as you don't give up, luck will find you. Like, that is, yes. the, you know, it's like that, that is kind of, it's a, it's a quid pro quo in a way that it can only be in fantasy. Um, this is the reason why you don't despair is because like, you know, if you keep going, you're, you're, you're going to get lucky eventually, right? You, this cannot last forever, but it depends on you not to, not to give up. Right. Um, but there's this wonderful moment where they're making friends after the rescue and he nurses, he nurses, uh, Atreyu back to life after kind of like almost drowning in the swamp and getting eaten by, a um, a giant wolf and all this. And, 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 you know, Falcor says like, Oh, you know what I could really use as a scratch behind the ear. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like, I like that again, bit. like immediately, just like, just like that is the kind of stuff we should be bringing in, into our GMing. Right. Like, yeah, it's just like asking, you know, having, having creatures of different kinds, like mm-hmm. expect to be treated in different ways and like what what is like you know like what would a giant cat really want out of interaction with you know your gaggle of elves and 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 
and tieflings and whatnot. You know, it's like, right. I probably want to scratch scratch, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to, that there, that, that's how you set up the buy-in is you just like, you give, it's like, Oh, I got to scratch a giant cat today. Oh, I got to scratch a dragon yeah. on the chin today. You know, like that's a good, that's a good, that's a good game right there. And they, those, those players will do anything for that character. after <laughs> that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next bit is he goes and he runs into, so Falcor actually takes him most of the way he needs to go, yeah. right. To, to get to the Southern Oracle, which was 10,000 miles away or something. But, um, well, well, Atreyu is sleeping on his back. Falcor flies him most of the way, but they run into this comical couple, one who is, uh, obsessed with science and measurements and the other who is, a a witch obsessed with, uh, magic. Um, and they say, so you should have coached him through the next step, which is this, is this isn't the Southern Oracle? This is a different test, but it's two no. Sphinxes. He has to he has to go through the Sphinx to talk to the Southern Oracle. So there's right. like, and the Southern Oracle is another set of Sphinx. I don't know what's yeah. going on there. I, that I, was a I know confusing. what's going on. The producer said, "Okay, we've used these Sphinxes. Um, we don't have enough budget for a different thing, so <laughs> so change their outer appearance vaguely, and they're also going to be Let's the Southern Oracle." This in post. <laughs> we got to ship this bad boy. Yeah, yeah, you might be yeah. right. Uh, yeah, um, but. But he witnesses a knight trying to get past these sphinxes, and it is about I, I this part lost me a little bit. I thought it was if your self regard is too low, I thought if if your self regard was too high that you can't pass. But it, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. It is if okay. if you have even a little doubt about yourself in your heart, then you cannot get through the guardian sphinx to talk to the, to, to the, to the Southern, Southern Oracle. And I, I actually, I think that's pretty good. Again, it's like, it's, it's very much on the nose. This is very like pilgrim's progress. You know, this is very allegorical. It's like, we're, we're just saying the loud, you know, the soft part loud here. It's like, you know, I, I, I know writers who use subtext and I think they're all cowards. You know, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is the vibe of this scene very much. Yes, you know? we're not here for subtext. We're here for the text. But it still yeah. adds a lot of tension, you know, and it's just like, I, I think, um, you know, this is, this is for, 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 for all our GM friends out there, you know, like this is the test of every single door in a dungeon. <laughs> Right, right. It is. It is just like, oh my god, I don't know what's on the other side. I'm so worried that I'm not prepared for what's going also, on there. It's the test of every GM getting ready for the set. You know, like you said oh, this yeah. last week, but like, you know, you know, like, oh, I don't want to do this, but after ten minutes, it's fine. You yeah. know, um, and I definitely like, you know, you know, if I'm sure everybody, I'll I'll just speak for myself, but like negative self talk and stuff. This is the mm. this is what is represented there. Like not the external threats that you face, but the internal conflicts that you face that prevent you from doing the things you want to do or completing the quests you want to quest. And I, and I will, and that's where this comes in. Yeah, yeah and I, I will just comment like it's it's set up very broadly. Like it's just like hey, this this is what happens. This is what at stake, and and we, we get to see it happen visually. And it's like you're going to get incinerated by laser eyes if you doubt yourself. Which yeah. is it's just it's yeah, very plainly eyes. plainly put. But then it's yeah. like it it is very nicely like delivered with wonderful visuals and uh and 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 music and actually a very well-paced you know tense scene i, I like uh, that he barely makes it yeah like the the idea is that you know if he had suddenly bristled with confidence and walked through without any 
difficulty at all, that would, would have been a less impactful scene. Because what happens is what happens when most people try to undertake something difficult is they just get past the finish line, um, you know, and have a huge sense of relief. <laughs> sort of a C's gets degrees kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I crossed the finish line and just barely, but, uh, right, but I right. still did the thing. I still showed up. I still did something hard, uh, but I, I did also kind of like nearly fail. Um, yeah, yeah. But that, you know, that's what that is what is asked of us all to do anything creative or difficult ever. Um, uh, podcasting yeah, it reminds me of a moment I I was my boss and I were this is a few years ago trying to do something difficult. Right. It was something I didn't know how to do. It was a form of analysis. And I said to her, like, so how do we do this? She's like, I don't know. Why don't we just Google it and figure it out together. I was like, oh, so you don't know either. Neither of us knows. We're just figuring out this as I go along. It was strangely comforting to be like, oh, this person who's like two levels above me doesn't have all the answers either. So let's just uh, slug our way through this one. Yeah. That's something I've had to deal with a lot this semester teaching this programming class is just like, right. and, and just like making the experience of learning a transparent thing. And I, I like yes. to do this in my classroom no matter what. But it's just like, if I run into something I don't know, I don't say that I don't try to downplay it or avoid it or say that, well, that question is 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 silly to ask and here's why. So I can cling on to this, you know, uh, illusion of authority and importance. It's just like, no, learning is a non-hierarchical thing and action is too. It's just like, you know, you, you got to show up, you got to put in the work. And that, that's right. better than than asking the the wise man on the the hill the the, the and getting the answer. Um, yeah. is, is yeah. actually doing stuff. But um So so he overcomes his fear. Yeah. And he makes it through. What's up next? Does he then go right to the Southern Oracle or is there another bit? I hate to Yeah, he talks to the like, Southern Oracle okay. and he, and that's when he finds out that this whole time they need they need to give the Empress a new name and it, only a human from Earth can do it. Only an earthling child yeah. can do it. Uh and and Atreus says like I don't where would I possibly find one? And so this yeah. is also when the kid realizes that they are aware of him completely, you know, and, and throughout this, all the, the kid bastion who's been on the earth side of this is stepping away from the story becomes too tense. At times he throws the book away from him, but he's realized that he can't escape it once this right. conversation comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so things kind of proceed pretty quickly towards the end and, you know, he gets picked up by Falcor and he, you know, um, he had lost his medallion at one point. Yeah, yeah. The medallion, but there, Falcor pulls well, it a, out of the ocean. And... I think there's the showdown with the. Um, uh, there's the there's the they they try to go to the ivory tower, uh, back to the Empress, and then he get there's a storm of the nothing that gets kicked yes. up, and he falls to an island where he he must confront uh, the the wolf whose name I thought for sure I wrote it down, but it's like I, I think it's Garak. Garak. Yeah. 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 Um, which and... is my f- best part of this. Um, like I hate to sound simple-minded, but but Garak like speaks truth here that I find really interesting, and I think makes the movie come together for me. Like, tell me about it. Yeah, because yeah. he really does. He really does put a fine point on it. But yeah, also, like, what like, has been sort it of a... a tad more eloquence than than some of the other stuff. Like, it's the swamp of sadness. Oh yes. no, <laughs> you know. But, but this... what he does is he does it in plain language, right? Yes. Which is to say. And I forget who's who he's allied with. He's allied with the nothing, but yes. but he says to Atreyu, "Look, um, I'm encouraging this to happen because I want 
what he does is he tells Atreyu two things. One is that Fantasia doesn't really exist. Because what, what Atreyu has been trying to do is find the boundaries of Fantasia. Because if he can get past the boundaries, he can find the human boy that can rename the Empress and save the world. And what uh, the wolf, Grok, says to him is, you know, you there is no boundary because Fantasia it is only the the imaginary world of humans. And and so you can't get beyond the bounds of it because that that has no boundary, but it is failing because humans are losing their imagination. And I want this to happen because without imagination, you don't have hope. And people who don't have hope are really easy to control. Um, and I found that I, to say it's profound is too much, but to say it resonated with me in the fact that like, you know, I was having, um, I was having a cocktail with uh, the aforementioned Brandon and, and we were just talking about genre stuff. And he said, you know, well, that's what zombie movies are all about, right? There's a lack of agency, right? A lack of hope. And then you, then they're easy to control. So that's not strictly relevant here, but I just wanted to point it out to say like, like there is definitely a feeling of, of hopelessness in the modern landscape. And that's why this resonated with me um, in the way that it did. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I actually, um, uh, I actually want to read a quick passage from um, uh, George Orwell's 1984, <laughs> <laughs> Please. which I think really uh, says, says it all. Um, let me see it. Let me make sure I can get this. Yeah. I actually just read this recently. I, I gave a, I gave a little talk about the Muppets and I, I sort nice. of like wrapped, wrapped up what was at stake, uh, it, it, it with, with this quotation, um, from, uh, 1984. So the, the leader of the party O'Brien is, is kind of like right. torturing the, the, the protagonist, uh, Winston, uh, and, and, um, and, and, you know, kind of like, Kind of like it just kind of this is the part at which the villain kind of says the whole master plan kind of moment. And he says, um, there will be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed. But always and do not forget this, Winston, always there will be the intoxication of power constantly increasing and constantly growing subtler. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on the enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on the human face forever. And that is wow. the nothing right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, if I can get you to despair enough and and to only, to not, to not covet hope, but to covet power above all else, then I can control you because I can always change who's in power. I can always change the means by which you can get power. What I right. can't change is what you hope for. Um, wow, that, that is such a great, like, I, I was shocked when you said 1984, but I mean, he says right in that passage, curiosity, and mm -hmm. Garak says right in his speech, imagination, those yep. aren't necessarily interchangeable, but like close enough, right? Like, I think that that's a great, um, great comparison. Right. I, you know, that and is, this is why I'll rewrite, to... I'll rewrite the, the fan, the fan fiction version of Bastion in 1984 <laughs> finds a copy of the never ending story. <laughs> but this is now, so now what you've just done brilliantly is bring me back to how you opened, right? Which is, uh, the never ending story is a defensive art and imagination mm -hmm. as an essential component of human existence. Yes. Right. 
Um, and then, uh, and then Atreo just gets lucky. And when Garak goes to jump on him, he manages to stab him with a sliver of rock he found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and Falcor grabs him and they get, they get to, you know, all Fantasia starting to like crumble to dust. Crumble apart. Yeah. They're, you know, they're just floating asteroids that are smashing to bits and, and the nothing is just about to, um, about to over. win. Right. Yeah. And that is, that is when, uh, the never ending story basically asks the same question that every DM asks a hundred times in every sen- session. Right. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and this Here is, is the... all this bad stuff. If you do nothing, evil wins and despair yep. reigns. What will you do in the face of this, my dear players, right? Yes, and Bastion screams out the window the new name of the Empress, which is, apropos of nothing, Moonchild, I just like to say. Like, he screams it out, and I wouldn't have known what it was if I hadn't read the summary of the novel on Wikipedia. That's interesting. But um, maybe that resonated for somebody. I'm sorry to poo-poo it. But he he gives her a new name, and everything is restored all of a sudden. And he gets gets a series of wishes as well. So he gets a a montage of... Uh, the characters we met at the beginning, um, you know, the bat and the snail and their riders um, happily traveling along. We get a picture of a Treyu riding a galloping horse through a field like like all is restored. Um, Do you want to talk about the scene uh, where the Empress begs for uh, Bastion to give her the new name? Because that's a little moving, too. That's, that's, it's that's that. Uh, the, so that girl uh, who is playing the Empress is I, I is, looked her up. That's like her only thing. Yeah, like she did a couple minor things besides that. There's a couple of just as an aside, and I'll probably throw this in as a cut bit. Like, there's a couple of very memorable like child actor moments where that actor um, didn't ever do anything else. So this is an example. The other big example that always surprised me is the girl who played Newt in Aliens. Mm. Like, did this movie, did some voice for the computer game, and then became a kindergarten teacher. Like, she was done. But like, every if you bring up Newt in, in Aliens, everybody knows exactly who you're talking about. Like, they're it's just prob- so I probably for yeah. the best in the yeah. case of most of yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? They escaped. Didn't make it out quite so unscathed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, the the performance of that child and the the kind of like fairly intense like makeup and hair situation. Yes. It's just like there's this really weird like it's teetering on the edge of like it's it 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 kind of like it's more overdone than like beauty pageant children which i always find dis- disturbing to look at because yeah. it's like children that are kind of looking like sexually objectified adults yeah. and it's like it's, i don't i don't i don't, I don't, I don't that's I don't a different podcast this. too but yeah this is yeah i don't but yeah, but don't this this kind that. of this goes over that it's like it is a child who is who is it is both your your sister uh, your daughter and your mother kind of like all in one character yes. very very effectively realized imagery and just like just like breaking the fourth wall staring straight into the camera tears streaming down her face just like saying like please you you have to kind of be silly you have to actually believe enough to actually in your own with your own mouth shout this into a thunderstorm and be uh uh, and and embarrass yourself a little bit that's all that i'm asking for you to to restore all of these people who are important to you all you have to do is invest and that is that's player buy-in right there. It's yeah, basically yeah. saying like, Hey, I need you. I need you to care about this. I want you to use your funny voices. I want you to take these silly stories. We're making up as we go along seriously. 
that is the plea that the childlike empress is um is making towards the um not not just not just bastion but also very pointedly towards the audience as well and saying like this is important for you too you know you put yourself in the shoes of you know somebody who you know a parent who is is you know working really hard at a job tired and then yeah. kind of gets duped into reading this book to your children and then suddenly like realizes how important this whole thing is. Right. You know, like, yeah, I, I get the feeling that that's what the novel is kind of aimed at. Uh, and, and it is like, Hey, I need you, like you, you, the reader, you, the parent that are reading this book to your children, you are, I need active participation from this yes. or it's not going to work. You know, like the spell, the spell requires silliness. The spell requires you to, uh, ac activity if this is not something that you can just like have on in the background you know like like a movie right uh, right, and, right and in a way it's just like you know there is there's a direct appeal to the a much more direct appeal to the the reader in the novel than there is the 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 voyeur in the the cinema you know yeah <laughs> whoa uh yeah but also um <laughs> Uh, Bastion's story continues further in the novel. And I just yes. read the synopsis, so I can't really speak to it, but he's granted a series of wishes. And as he uses the wishes, he loses his memory. Like it's a whole, he's got to confront Atreyu again at the end. Like, I don't even know what that's about, but, but there's more to the book, I guess is the only point I wanted to make. Yeah. There's, there's, there's more going on there. It's like, you, you, it's like, yes, you have to care about make believe things, but don't, you know, everything in moderation kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, his first wish, by the way, the only one they show in the movie is him riding Falcor to scare the kids who bullied him at the beginning. Yes. And they ended up jumping into the same dumpster that he felt that they threw him into at the beginning of the, yeah, yeah, the cleanest so. dumpster in the world, by the way, because when he crawls about out of it, it's like just he's got a little straw on it. Especially considering <laughs> it's in New York City in the 80s. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's certainly filmed in Toronto, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody's uh, favorite version of New York is Toronto for those uh, you're watching it. There's filmed so many movies in Toronto. It's, yeah. it's a little crazy actually. Uh, the, but I, I did want to briefly mention the concept of the U catastrophe that comes to us through J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Um, Cause it comes up at several points in this, um, in, in this movie and in the book and everything. And, and I think this is, this is kind of more difficult to pull off at the table. Uh, but this idea of the U catastrophe being like, you know, like the, the, the euphony is the opposite of the cacophony, right? So the uh -huh. U is a, a prefix that's, that, that is modifying catastrophe. It's the opposite. It's the good kind of catastrophe. It is the suddenly very good thing that happens. The days ex machina moment oh, okay. Uh, okay. at the end. Um, this is a phrase that, that Tolkien coined. So, you know, when, when, when they shout both in the end of the Hobbit and the end of uh, return of the King, the Eagles are coming. Like that is right. a you catastrophe. Like those, those moments of just like pure providential salvation is like, okay, you have hoped and done and, and fe mm. fended off despair more than anyone else. So now you get Falcor the luck dragon to kind of bail you out of this one because like you, it not, right. yeah, your, your heart, your heart has proven true. So, uh, you know, here, here, here comes, um, sort of, you know, divine salvation to kind of take you the rest of the way. Nice. Um, yeah, that is a great, that's a great, yeah. Especially at the end when, when Frodo and Sam get saved when they certainly shouldn't be right. Like, like what are they, what, what you, you as the reader can't see any way for them to, to get saved at, at the end of return of the King. And, but, 
but Tolkien brings the, yeah, I like this phrase. I hadn't heard it before. You catastrophe into, to validate their hard work, validate yeah, the, their hope. The yeah. you catastrophic moment is really important. Uh, and, um, at two fantasy, you know, we see it at the end of, um, Star Wars episode four, when, uh, the millennium Falcon shoots, yeah. uh, Darth Vader and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, those, those moments are, are really powerful and meaningful. And I think, you know, they're, they're much more meaningful if they've kind of been set up like, yes, which I think Star Wars does a little better than, um, then this is why I'm even making this comparison. I don't know, but comparing that to Falcor, like I think it's a little better set up in star Wars. Cause you, uh, you know, you know, he's out there somewhere and you're, and you're just so excited when it happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, that's something that you kind of earned. So yeah, if you are, if you do find out that, you know, your players are about to bite it and that wasn't really what your intent and, and it's kind of getting out of hand, you know, like having, having an NPC that they have created some kind of bond with kind of, like, you know, cause a distraction or save their bacon in some way um, yes. is is a, a really nice upbeat to add at the end of like this big, long downbeat that, you know, like a failing combat can feel like. So, yes. Um, yep. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Any other thoughts on the never ending story? Uh, I think that's kind of I think that's kind of all we got it. I really wanted to say the only other thing that I didn't mention is like the the, the Southern Oracle kind of like crumbling to dust. Uh, yes. while delivering its final messages is a great way of of kind of like um you know it's a, what is it um mike shea from the um uh, sly flourish uh uh media empire uh yes. is fond of like giving um important lore delivery to I intelligent items or like statues and things like that because like otherwise you're going to find some way to like make this npc solve all of your problems right. uh so having having a talking statue that crumbles to dust as soon as they tell you the thing that you need to know is a great way it's a great like you know way to solve that problem for yourself as a yeah. gm it's just like yeah. okay and now they're and now they're dead and destroyed you know like they were they were holding on to their last bit of 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 strength to give you the the, the, the last the, breath yeah hour and now you can't ask them for any more help they're dead <laughs> right. yeah this message will self-destruct in 30 seconds exactly if you're in the spy exactly. story yeah exactly <laughs> so remember turn around look at what you see in her face the mirror of your dreams make believe i'm everywhere hidden in the lines written on the pages is the answer to the never-ending story. Splat Book is a proud part of Roll For It Media. Be sure to check out our sister show, Roll For Topic, wherever fine podcasts are purveyed or on their website, gmdiscussions.com. And please leave us a five-star review on your podcasting app of choice. It really helps people find the show. Did you have any questions about the show? Did you feel we left anything out? Did you have some strong opinion about something that we shared? Leave us a voice message on the Splatphone by going to bit.ly slash Splatphone, and we might even play your message on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Latino or subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mapcrow, and you can follow John in your hearts. 
Our intro track today was, of course, the theme song to Never Ending Story, but it was a saxophone cover of it by Pepito Rose from their 2003 album, Sax for Lovemaking, The Music for a Night of Passion. And believe me, the track listing for that album is something special. And our outro track was the track Bastion's Happy Flight from the Never Ending Story original soundtrack from 1984 by Klaus Doldinger. Now stay tuned for some cut bitlets. But yeah, man, I have I have been busy. Uh, this uh, yeah, what this, have you been up to? Oh, this um, this this <laughs> this semester is kicking my ass. <laughs> I bet. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, but it is a lot of work to stay ahead of this programming class. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more than I was even expecting. But I'm also it's I'm also seeing promising results both from my own studies and my students. So nice. I think that's great. I, so yeah, and and I will become yeah a completely unstoppable by the end of the semester. There will just Excellent. be no living with me. Uh, uh, no, no one will be able to to, to stop me uh, uh, ever again, which is which okay. is really exciting. <laughs> that is really exciting. I, yeah, uh, <laughs> a little exciting and frankly a little frightening. I don't want to. Sure. Yeah. So I I did run Sailors on the Starless Sea for eleven players, uh, many of them first timers. Uh, I think the funnel is is like my ideal way to introduce people to the the hobby, um, but it's also pretty great. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so fun, and it's like I I mean I can see that moment where they realize like oh, uh, I don't get to do I don't get to do like the big critical role thing like this isn't really about character work or whatever, and I'm going to fail most of the time. And then you see the light go on and they're like, oh, I can just say stuff and see what happens. Like, there's really like, it's it's a it's a great sandbox for people just to go like, hey, can I try to use my duck that it says that I have to snatch that ring out of the gargoyle's mouth? And I'm like, yeah, roll, you go, know? Like do it. <laughs> By the way, that's amazing that somebody suggested they use their duck. I love, I, in that particular adventure, um, there's several gruesome ways to lose your, if you're a farmer with a farm animal, I had one kid, uh, sacrifice his cow to summon the boat, um, yes. which I allowed because, uh, otherwise he had to sacrifice, sacrifice another person and he was like 12. So I was like, okay, <laughs> sacrifice the cow. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things that I like about it, especially like, this is the, this is the second time I've run it now. It's it's just like it's so open ended. And I and I wonder if it had this in mind as a convention game. Um, the fact that oh. there is like an open crater that leads to the ziggurat from the courtyard means that if such as what happened on Friday, your characters don't actually get out of that first courtyard. You can still have the final boss show up <laughs> in the <laughs> courtyard. <laughs> That's good. No, I wonder. Um, I think that's. It feels very old school to have a, a almost, almost, but not quite impossible way to cut to the end. You know, like yes. even in the in the description, they're like, yeah, if you have five hundred feet of rope, like you could, in theory, but you shouldn't ever have five hundred feet of rope. So you know, I don't know. I, I there's something great about that adventure. Um, and I don't know what it is. A lot of people listed as like the best zero level funnel adventure. And I agree. I just, I couldn't tell you what in particular makes it so good. It's just sort of, it's gnarly. It's just like old fashioned, but fun and ridiculous. And yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know quite what it is either. Um, I, I I feel like it has it has just the right mix, but I, I actually haven't read enough or much less played enough, um, you know, zero zero level funnels to actually be able to compare it. But it is difficult to imagine like anything kind of out sailoring sailors. <laughs> you know what right? I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yes, I agree. Can I read you something that I read last night? I, I would like that very much. I thought this was interesting. So I started cracking open um, King Arthur Pendragon, epic oh, role-playing. Oh, oh. Third edition. How 80s is that cover? The third edition That's cover beautiful. couldn't be I wish 80s. I had it's that great. version, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. But um, he has this, you know, right next to the section, which most of the games back then had, and many, many still do, right next to the what is role-playing section, there's just a little gray box, and it says play at the top and it says, mm. most of us as children engaged in some sort of make-believe cops and robbers is common or some variant of guns uh, the ever-present knights if swords and shields are in fashion this year a role-playing game is a lot like that kid play except instead of running around the backyard you use your collective imaginations and instead of the incessant got you no you didn't arguments we use dice to settle disputes gameplay is mostly talk about and for your character who is your pretend guy in the imaginary world. It seems a bit strange at first, but give it a try. It is something you've done in the past. It's entertaining fun. If it seems embarrassing, relax. Fun is its own reward and needs no justification. So anyway, I just, you know, after watching this movie, I read that and I'm like, it, you know, it's again, not super profound, but I thought it just fit in really nice. Like, just yeah, to, you know, like be imaginative, have a good time. And it's kind of like, you know, for us, it's kind of preaching to the choir. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, we, we, we've, we've been at this for a long time, but I, I do think that, uh, but yeah, that is about it. I, uh, really enjoyed this episode. I was a little nervous because you, you, I, you, I you texted me last night and you were like, Oh boy, why yeah. did I suggest this? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny to me. Um, when I realized, wait, I've never watched this all the way through, um, which kind of made me laugh. But yeah. but yeah, now you have. And this is like my fourth time watching it as as an adult. So I I really do adore this movie. And I do I do suggest that everybody watch it. Um, but you kind of you kind of have to know it. You are watching a children's movie. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, it is. It is. It is absolutely for children. And in that sense, like very lovingly crafted. So there's lots to appreciate for adults in a visual sense. And there are like, yeah, three moments, I think, take take a, a fairly like, uh, you know, cringy saccharine movie and actually make it something that's worth revisiting every once in a while. So, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. I, I was struggling at the beginning. I won't lie. Um, it takes but, yeah. a while to actually yeah. get to to you know the 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 actual like fantasia and seeing all the cool practical effects it takes a it, it takes a while to get there it's like a good 20 minutes or something yeah but also when they ran into that first group i'm like who is this pantomiming goblin weirdo like yeah. i was like what is happening <laughs> but uh but eventually i uh, i managed to fall for it so yeah uh okay do we know what we're talking about next time no we have no idea We got it. I, it is kind of interesting to watch the show slowly transform into like we we actually want sort of like a meaningful ending instead of like these smarmy one liners at the end. I know, I know, right? It's just yeah. we got to we got to talk about more. Sp
that's our thing. <laughs> I know. I think uh, I think we're both too sincere for that, though. I yeah, think I'm noticing that. that too. I'm okay with that. You know, with the with, there's there's I plenty of smarm in other places on the internet. Yes. Oh my goodness. Anything else before we wrap up? That's that's that's. I'm looking up the lyrics for the song "Never Ending Story." Oh and I God! Up, yeah. I accidentally looked up the lyrics for "Never Ending" by Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> very different <laughs> yeah, but i kind of want you to do that now <laughs> yeah and also i know somebody's I know someone's gonna get on my case for pronouncing it rihanna and not rihanna and i just listen i i grew up on the south side of indianapolis what do you want from me <laughs> uh i by the way i'm old enough to remember when there was a separate lincoln and washington's birthday days so that's how old I am. <laughs> yep. yep. You're, you're, right. you're, you're getting up there, pal. Right, and, uh, I've been feeling it. Like we were talking about how um, I still occasionally have the moment where like I'm get you know, reading an RPG book or, or getting a session ready. I'm like, am I going to do this when I'm 60? Like, <laughs> but yeah. I'm like, yes, I probably will. Cause yeah. I really enjoy it. I think, so. I think it's all just, you know, finding, finding the right group of people. I think that's, yes. that's what it is. I, and you know, what was it? Um, you know, Matt Colville was actually talking about this once on, on one of his streams. Cause he, he did a stream of like fourth edition uh, uh, once with uh, a YouTuber, Dale Kingsmill and some of their friends and, and Dale's like younger than I am. Uh, and and so, and, and he was reflecting on it once on one of his live streams. And he said, you know, one of the great things about games and one of the great things about YouTube, uh, even though it's one way on YouTube is it's an opportunity for generations to actually like spend time with one another and relate to one another. Um, because that, that can be actually very difficult to do in other situations, but like, if you're if you go to a convention and you're you know you're you're you could you could no matter what your age is you could be playing with somebody who's like you know 40 years in different in you in, in age and that is that is valuable and, and powerful